Welcome to episode 46 of Flying Podcast. Uh, a chap called Scott Beaver wrote to me recently uh, saying how much he's enjoying listening to the podcast. And in his email, he mentioned that he was planning to fly around the world at some point in the not too distant future. Uh, I'm always keen to hear about how people go about planning for great flying adventures, so I, uh, I invited Scott along to appear on the podcast. Before we got talking about his plans, uh, I was interested to hear about his flying experience to date, starting with uh, where and when he started his PPL training. Um, well, I learned to fly um, at Leeds and Bradford, um, and uh, probably around 2003, 2004, I can't remember the exact date now, um, at multi-flight at Leeds and Bradford. I was just flying out of Leeds Bradford uh, the other day and uh, noticed they've got is it a seven three seven parts outside of multi flight. Um, I'm not sure actually because I've not flown out of Leeds and Bradford for quite a while. I'm now flying out of Sherburn, um, uh, which is um, obviously not too far from yeah. from multi flight. But uh, again, it's um, you know I don't really get to multi flight that much these days. Okay. So you uh, did your PPL, and then what happened? Do you, do you Get flying around the world. <laughs> Once you got your wings, do you uh, use the privileges? Well, well actually, I got me um, my PPL in, in 2004, uh, and pretty quickly um, I wanted to sort of venture out um, and um, started flying out. So, you know, I think I landed at Barton a couple of times um, uh, on the west coast. How did you find it coming over to Barton, by the way? Most people coming from Leeds, like I've spoken to people from. Uh, from that area, I think it's the worst possible thing. You know, coming over to Barton, they're scared of coming in. Yeah, I mean, well, well Barton's situated just on, uh, right in a really complicated spot, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. right near the, the motorway interchange. You've got Trafford Centre. Yeah. Unless you've been there before, and I have flown out of there before, actually, in the past, um, it's very difficult to, to to find. I think, and um, obviously crossing the Pennines as well, a lot of people are frightened of. Yeah. Um, again, but if you if you plan it properly, you do you do your you do your homework on the weather and everything else. I think it's quite exciting getting over there. Yeah. I think the airspace is a bit of a worry for most people, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if I remember right, the last time I did it, um, Leeds and Bradford hold you pretty much all the way, and then hand you over to Manchester, and and you know it's all quite easy, really. I don't I don't think it's that difficult. Again, you know, um, it's just people are scared of busting that airspace, aren't they? I think more than anything. Yeah. So what do you do, the usual, taking your friends and family up for uh, little jaunts around? Um, yeah, I, d I do um, occasionally, yeah. Um, again, we're flying out of Sherburn. It's great for that, really, because um, they're quite privileged in the fact that there's not a great deal of airspace around there. You've got, you've got lots of uh, navigational aids to help you, obviously, Gamston. VOR, Stringham VOR, you know, you've got Doncaster, Humberside, you've got the low airspace radar service, I mean, and they're great to work with these people. So, you know, you can kind of relax a little bit on the nav side, and obviously we're flying out of there quite a lot, you tend to get to know the area quite well, and there's some great, you know, um, scenic routes, I mean, most people take people over the, the Humber Bridge, which is great, mm -hmm. fly around there a couple of times, get up the coast, you know, um, and, it, and it's fantastic. Um, so, again, really enjoy that side of it. Um, whereas Manchester is a little bit more complicated on yeah. that side to try and get round and relax, and especially when you've got passengers on board, you know. So you you, you passed your your test. Anything interesting that you did there thereafter? Any you know interesting flights, long distances? 
Um, I think pretty soon after that, I decided that I was going to um, get out to the States. And, um, you know, I'd heard so much about the States, and, and in particular the cost was, uh, you know, phenomenally lesser than it was here. Yeah. I think at the time, I think I worked it out with the, with the hour building package I bought, I think we were paying less than $50 an hour. You know, and with the conversion rates at the time, yeah. um, obviously it was going back nearly 10 years, so um, it was next to nothing. And the aircraft they gave you were, were brand spanking new, all the latest equipment on board, GPS, everything autopilot, you know, brand new aircraft. And, uh, and, 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 and you know, the flying out there is absolutely superb. So, um, so where did you end up going? Well, uh, we went to Naples, um, and it was actually a school that we partnered with Multiflight over here. Um, and um, uh, it may well have been London Aviation I can't quite remember uh, but that was out in Naples uh, it's a busy old airfield isn't it yeah it's huge as well isn't it yeah. um, and there's lots going on mm -hmm. you know they have lots of private charter out of there so there's lots of little jets coming in and out yeah. constantly uh, can you remember the name of the, the restaurant on site there I remember I flew in there oh, I can't we and I mean, they're very, very, very well organised. And someone yes, turns yes. up and says, "Do you want us to refuel your aircraft?" Which, for me, yeah. flying out of Barton, you know, yeah. amazing. Well, likewise, yeah. I says, "How do you get to the, uh, you know, the terminal building to get some you know, cup of coffee?" And she says, "Just wait there, and we'll have someone come pick you up." Oh bloody hell! Oh, I didn't experience that. I must admit, but you know, in terms of the, the school, the, the organisation that we we um, uh, went through. Uh, the facilities on site were absolutely amazing, yeah. um, you know, um, and the support from the instructors and everything. If you weren't sure about anything, they'd, they'd go the extra mile to make sure you were happy with everything. Um, and even on the check ride was 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 brilliant. They relaxed, um, which it tends to be in the states. Um, but you know, I really enjoyed it. You know, um, and those first few few hours out of there was, was was just something else, you know. It's right on the coast, isn't it? On the on the Gulf of Mexico. So yeah, when Gulf you take of, off, you yeah. you could be right over the sea. Well, you, yeah, depending on which runway you were using yeah. at the time. And um, yeah, I'd rooted out a couple of times over the sea, which was yeah. was a nice experience. Um, but you know, again, they, they give you a package and, and, and um, give you places of interest to fly to, yeah. um, and kind of wanted to be a little bit different and do my own thing. Um, so I did a few local sorties, you know, um, Lake Okachibi, I think it's called, um, which you know was a great run. Um, flew over that, and when you see that body of water in front of you for a lake, it's it's huge, yeah. absolutely huge. And I, st I was sweating a little bit actually coming up to it because I'd, I'd crossed, you know, I was going to cross, plan to cross half of it, you know. And when you see that body of water in front of you, it's like a bit, a bit unnerving, you know. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of flights into some major airfields there. Pagefield, I think, was one we, we flew into. Um, and they got us to um, route out to sea. They were coming on a long final, and they were they were clearing aircraft in front of us, some big, heavy, military stuff, mm -hmm. which was quite scary as well. I mean, obviously they were safe distance away, but you know it was still nerve wracking. And you coming into land, and um, you know the, these uh, airfields are, are absolutely huge. You know, I remember setting the aircraft down, and the numbers were bigger than the whole aircraft. You know, and it was. Uh, <laughs> It was certainly an experience to see all this field and, you know, runway in front of you and you've used very little of it to land. Yeah. Well, that was my experience. I was, when I first, I think on my trial flight from Clearwater, they, they took me to St. Petersburg, which I don't know how long it was, but, you know, at yeah. least a mile long. And the guy said, he said, I noticed you've got 40 degree of flaps here. 
and you're trying to land on the numbers and you're jamming your brakes and he says there's no need you yeah. know so I'd landed it and stopped <laughs> you know, I couldn't even yeah. see the you know the control tower yeah so it's just everything's big there isn't it yeah. you know and, and so aviation friendly and uh, the facilities like I said earlier are just superb all the services the air traffic services are, are fantastic always want to do that extra bit for you um, so superb but the one the one trip that does stick out in my mind more than anything was um, I, t- I took a friend along with me on this occasion and um, we flew from Naples routed over the Everglades to Homestead which is just south of Miami um, and uh, we decided we were going to do a skydive when we got there yeah. and then I realised it was Friday the 13th <laughs> so <laughs> um, I thought well you know what I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to lay off a thing to my friend James um, and he was hell-bent on doing it and he was he was ribbing me for a while so anyway I ended up doing it um, and it was a 14,000 feet tandem skydive I've done it once before yeah. but again you, you know just the whole experience there was was much better than it is in the UK and they got us in a Cessna caravan which I'd never been in before and the, the, the climb rate on that was phenomenal um, and uh, we got to 14,000 feet quite quickly then I jumped first my friend in the back was scared to death after ribbing me and getting me to do it, and I ended up yeah. going first. Uh, and we did the skydive, and, and, and it was exhilarating. You know, we, we actually fell through cloud and everything. It was just absolutely awesome, and the, and the scenery was, was, was phenomenal as well. You could see Cuba and everything. Um, then, obviously, we did the, the, the jump, um, and we said our goodbyes, and we took off, and, and, and we routed down to uh, Key West. So we followed all the keys. I think from from Ocean Reef, then down to Marathon Key, and then and then straight down, and then and then landed at Key West, which was absolutely amazing. You know, the the, the scenery again was phenomenal. You could you could see Cuba out in the distance. Um, you could see a weather balloon that was was oh, tethered. Um, yeah. I can't remember what altitude. It was something like twenty thousand feet. It, it, it was tethered to, wasn't it? Yeah, I can't it's remember for that. I tried to find some information on it um, before we had a, a, a chat. But, I think um, it's called Fat Albert. Something like yeah. that. Something like that. Because there is a, a, a navy station before you get to Key West, isn't it? You have to That's talk right. to. And yeah, yeah, you have they, to. You, yeah. They clear you through their they clear delta. You through their, their, yeah, that's right. And um, again, they were great as well, you know. And I think they were they were absolutely fascinated that you know there was an English person flying down the keys and, and yeah. landing at Key West. So they were asking me all sorts of questions. So that was that was interesting. Um, but the, the, the flight experience itself was, was was phenomenal. You know, you could see all the the sea life and the speedboats and yeah. everybody enjoying themselves. And you know, it's just awesome, really. It's not like not like uh, Scarborough. Not quite the same. Not, as Scarborough. No, not like Scarborough. No, <laughs> no. Um, uh, but it was it was a really good experience. Uh, and again, we we landed. weren't familiar with the airfield, uh, and, I, and I should have been a little bit more familiar because there was only one taxiway. But I asked them for a progressive taxi, and they just <laughs> followed you in. Yeah. And they were kind of, I think they were chuckling. I was asking them for a pro- yeah. progressive taxi when there was only one taxiway. Again, you know, somebody came out and told me to cut the engine and took the keys off me, yeah. went and parked it for us. Yeah. Oiled it, fueled it, job done. Yeah, somebody told me in when I was there. They yeah. said because I think they knew I didn't, didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So she said, just stop there and wait. And someone came out and towed us in. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It's, it's just it's just a different world for, yeah. as far as aviation goes. Well, general aviation goes, and uh, it was a great experience. One I'll, I'll never forget. And in, in actual fact, you know, I, I then flew in the states another twelve months later, um, and uh, I plan to do the same next year. So and, and relive the whole thing, but maybe a different destination this time. But did yeah. you try flight following? Did you did you go? Yeah, for the I did flight try following? flight following. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and again, it, it, just the services are phenomenal, aren't they? Yeah. You know, um, and, and again, it's impossible to get lost. You know, it's impossible, isn't it? You know, with the facilities they've got, and the airspace isn't as congested as it is here. Yeah. You know, so it's quite easy to get yourself set up, and you know, if you've done your planning right and everything else, and, and, and uh, have a successful flight. On your way back from Key West, did you go back up the the Keys, or did you go across the sea? Or were, you, uh, were you daring enough to go back over the the Gulf? Uh, no, I, I followed the, the coastline again. Um, well, I followed the Keys back round again, um, and. Um, essentially just came back the way they came in because um, I wanted to build a few more a bit more time up on the, on the clock and yeah. um, you know just have a different viewpoint on it coming back into Naples yeah. um, but did I did climb to sort of 10,000 feet on the way back and wow. you know um, just because I wanted to do it you know did you get around to leaning your engine? Yes, something I did. We're, we're yes, not, I did actually. We're not taught yeah. here about leaning. No, anyway. and, and and again, the the instructor over there was uh, was quite thorough actually, um, and and he gave us some useful tips. And one of them was leaning the engine, and um, you, you know it really does help on the, on the uh, fuel consumption side, doesn't it? And yeah. performance of the the aircraft. So yeah, I did do that and did that quite a lot on some of the longer journeys. Um, again, it's it's a nice habit to have, isn't it? Did you get any uh, turbulence? I mean, I flew over the Everglades and I was going up at a thousand feet per minute and back down at a thousand feet per minute. I thought, I mean, wings aren't going to come off here. I was yeah. crapping myself. You've obviously done Florida then, because yeah, yeah it was ex again on that long flight to, to to Lake Okeechobee, then again that was extremely turbulent, you know, and it's a bit scary at some point if you're not used to it and you, you do because you're dropping up and down, uh, like you say, quite severely, aren't you? Yeah. Um, and um, lots of those cumulus clouds about sucking you up and down and yeah. you know it, it is quite um, something to get used to anyway isn't it yeah. uh, you say you've flown somewhere else do you say you've flown in uh, California as well yeah um, it's kind of a little thing of mine now that every time I go away and if it's an IKEA state I'll, I'll try and uh, hire an aircraft even mm -hmm. if it's for an hour you know just to experience it um, and I was in Vegas sort of uh, Christmas New Year 2006 and he decided to look up um, the nearest flying school and, and try and hire a, an aircraft, which I did, succeeded in. Um, again, it's uh, North Vegas. I rented a, a 172, which had flown in, in Florida, SP, and it had all the kits on it again. But this one's a glass cockpit. So I thought, oh, well, I've got that, you know, and did three or four hours with an instructor. Again, really difficult to get used to. Um, I don't know whether, you know, you, you get away with a few hours on that type with a glass cockpit over here. What was what was difficult to get used to the actual glass cockpit? Um, again, just the digital format of the yeah. the, the gauges and, and the dials and everything. I mean, yeah. it's, it's difficult to get used to. You know, your altimeters sliding up and down. I suppose it's yeah. a bit like the commercial aircraft, isn't it? But you know, that was difficult to get used to. And um, you know, finally got my head around it, and um, they signed me off, and, and, and off I went. So. Um, Again, we took off. We went um, down the Vegas Strip. Overflew that over the Vegas Strip with the uh, with the girlfriend in the back and a, and a couple of friends. Uh, and by the way, the girlfriend uh, Sonia absolutely cannot stand flying, but obviously we forced her into doing it yeah. uh, because we were all going together on this trip. Um, flew down the, the the Strip straight into uh, or, or the overhead of McCarran. They cleared us in their overhead. We routed out to the Hoover Dam. Uh, we circled around the Hoover Dam a bit and uh, took that scenery in. I mean, that is something else as well. Mm -hmm. And then um, straight out to the Grand Canyon Rim. Uh, we landed at the Grand Canyon Rim. 
uh, again, we flew over the um, over the Grand Canyon, um, and at the time they just changed um, or the airspace itself. You couldn't go below the rim surface. You had to be, I think, five five to seven thousand feet above. I think. Yeah. Um, you know, you couldn't be doing any scenic flights, and you know, I mean, the traffic there is unbelievable anyway with the helicopters and and everything else. Um, so we had to fly around above the canyon for a while, and, and and then landed at the rim, and that was that was an amazing experience as well. Did you get anywhere else? Did you uh, go off over to uh, the coast at all? I didn't actually. Um, it was only in um, Vegas for, for the Christmas and New Year, so we had about uh, I think a week to ten days. We'd just been to New York, and then we flew to to Vegas for the last few days, so we didn't have a great deal of time really, unfortunately. But. Um, you know, I had the girlfriend actually over the Hoover Dam. I just remembered this. Um, she was that frightened to death. She's she's crying in the back, and, that, and we had to calm her down. You, you know, because I thought, you know, I don't fancy going back through McCrane International and, 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 and back round again. Um, I mean, because that was something else getting through that airspace. You know, uh, as I'm sure you appreciate, Steve, um, in America, sort of the busier airports, they really do fire the instructions at you. And if you're not listening carefully, you know, it's, it'd be easy to miss the instructions that they're, they're passing you. So, um, but yeah, great experience. You say you're planning to go again? Yeah, um, I, I'm looking at maybe going out in March. Um, not sure whether whether to do the east coast or the west coast really um possibly maybe look at long beach and, and again it's it's a great base in which to sort of fly out and see a bit of california really okay so, so that was the last time you were over in the states was 2006 what, yeah what have you been doing since um well again I, I sort of in the sort of latter part of um 2007 um, I was out in Africa actually did a did a safari out in Africa and I managed again to track somebody down mm -hmm. and um, I guess you managed to to rent an aircraft there what sort of aircraft was it it was a Piper PA-22 it was a really old um, aircraft that this chap had had um, for a long long time he's quite an elderly gentleman um, again I can't quite remember his name he came came down, um, did a check ride with me, and let me go for a couple of hours. Um, and uh, he met me at an airfield called Yukunda, which is um, near our resort in Mombasa, as it was at the time. Um, and this this airfield was something else. We walked through the um, the main reception area at the airport. There was a number of security guards with AK-47s on the back of the chairs playing cards. Yeah. I thought, oh my God, <laughs> you know what have I let myself in for? Yeah, anyway, they, they had a look at me and then everything was fine. The chap turned up in the aircraft. Um, he took me through all the bits and pieces on the aircraft, uh, you know, to try and famil familiarise myself with the aircraft itself. I mean, all the gauges were really old as well, you know. Um, and, and then away we went. Um, we took off. Um, having to dodge all the potholes in the runway in the process. Flew down the coast for an hour, up and down the coast for an hour, then we flew inland um, again over a game reserve and that was just something else. You know, um, you could see the herd of elephants running and I mean, that, that that's one thing I'd like to do actually is, 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 is have a good, um, an, or an opportunity to fly around Africa. I mean, that would be something else, I think. So it adds a, a, another level to your flying, didn't it, when you think if I have a, 
a forced landing here. It's not just. <laughs> it's not like here where you land in a, a nice field and walk, you know, uh, see yeah. a nearest pub or whatever. Uh, no, there yeah. you've got like, lions to worry about. <laughs> yeah, you've got <laughs> alligators you've yeah, got in that, Florida. That's right, that's right. So, um, yeah, it wouldn't be something uh, I thought about, to be honest, um, <laughs> at the time. Uh, and that never really crossed my mind, to be quite frank with you, but I'm, I'm sure that the pilot that I was with was well pre prepared for all that sort of stuff, yeah. or every eventuality there. May well have been armed, I don't know. A lot of these guys over there are actually armed, aren't they? Um, for that reason, so. And I think you told me previously you, you have flown out of Manchester International. Yeah, um, again, I moved, because it's quite funny, really, but uh, my girlfriend's based in Leeds, and uh, that's why I started to, to, to learn to fly in Leeds was, was as a result of that. In actual fact, she bought me my first lesson, yeah. you know, because she knew it was a passion of mine. It always has been since I was a child. Um, and she decided to do that for my birthday, and then she's got me hooked. So, um, and then um, obviously during the week, I'd stay over in Manchester. Um, so, um, eventually she came over, moved in over in Manchester, and then hence I, I ended up... Um, flying from um, MSF in Manchester, which again was a great, great club. Unfortunately, it closed down um, not too long ago. Mm -hmm. So um, we moved back to Leeds and, and now I'm back flying from, from Sherburn. So that, that's the story really. Um, but Manchester again was, was a great uh, experience, obviously a busy international airport. Uh, again, you know, dealing with all the different, um, you know, delivery, you know, tower and mm -hmm. all the other bits and pieces. Did you get down to a place like Welshpool at all? Never got, never got to Welshpool. I got to Carnarvon actually, yeah. um, which again was that was a great flight actually to Carnarvon. It's my favourite flight, Carnarvon. It's got everything, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah, it's, it, actually forgotten all about that. Yeah, that was a, a cracking flight, and um, you used to route over Horden, I think, uh, to the point of air, yeah. uh, and follow the coastline down. Um, then you speak to. Um, Valley, RF Valley, um, and they'd clear you and you had to descend over the Menine Bridge at 1500 feet and then straight into Carnarvon. That was a great, great um, flight as well. Well recommended that. Yeah. You know, if the weather's good. Um, couldn't believe the amount of caravans on that north Welsh coast. It's unbelievable yeah. when you're actually up there and you, yeah. you, you can see how many there actually is. And there is a caravan site right at the end of the runway, isn't it? As a, I don't know if you're coming on that runway at Carnarvon, but you actually fly right across the caravan yeah, site. Yeah, I, th I think so. I can't, I can't remember the. the, the so much near the airfield but obviously certainly you know obviously the caravans on the north northern welsh coast and uh, and that just descending to 1500 feet over the mine bridge is yeah. really exciting yeah you know i mean when i went from barton you have to go through liverpool's airspace at less than i think less than 1250 feet so you, you know right. it's, it's almost like a rooftop right height water. yeah right right Can across liverpool city center it's right but that's good actually yeah. isn't it yeah. really uh, taking in the whole city there I flew over the Mersey when uh, Ark Royal, when we had a, an aircraft carrier, was parked up on the Mersey, and I thought, I wonder, I wonder how close you could get <laughs> right, to sticking yeah, it down. Be on that. <laughs> hey, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Stick it on there. Yeah. That'd be interesting, wouldn't you it? Only do it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scott had previously mentioned to me that he was currently training for his IMC rating here in the UK, so I asked him for some detail about uh, what's involved, and firstly. Uh, where was he doing the training for the rating? I'm doing that at uh, Sherburn. Um, one of the instructors there, Peter Jackson, who I've got to say is probably one of the best instructors I've ever flown with, to yeah. be honest. 
um, and, it, and it's a great rating. It's such a shame that the, um, the European changes uh, might see the end of, or the demise of the IMC racing, which you know I think every every PPL wants, you know should have a go to. It's well well worth um, having a go at. I went on to ask Scott uh, where he was up to in his IMC training. Um, I'm currently um, about 11, 12 hours in on IMC training um, at the moment, and you could say it's a precursor to starting the IR. Um, the IR is probably the most demanding rating to obtain, uh, and the, the training is uh, intensive, and the majority of parts who gain that IR are usually going to use it commercially, so the, the standards are quite exacting. Um, the IMC um, uses elements from the IR training syllabus and certainly provides a good foundation for commencement of the IR training itself. The only obvious um, difference is airways flight, which is not covered in the IMC. Um, uh, and obviously the, the IR tr flight training is 55 hours as opposed to a minimum of 15 on the, on the IMC. So yeah. clearly you can see the difference there. Yeah. It's a get out of jail free card, isn't it, with the, the IMC? Yeah, it is, um, and um, again, it really does um, improve your, 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 your flying skills dramatically, I think. Yeah. Um, again, it, it goes into depth on everything you've learnt already on your PPL, and it really does bring you back to, to where you should be. Um, and, it's, and it's quite funny, really, because you do actually forget quite a lot of the theoretical side of flying, mm -hmm. and, it, and it sort of brings you back to that and draws your attention back to the important things as well. Yeah. Um, now the, the course itself, um, obviously you've got the practical elements and the theoretical elements and the flying training is, is basic flying manoeuvres on full panel, limited panel and partial panel, so straight and level, turning, climbing, descending and recovery from unusual attitudes. Um, radio navigation, so NDB and VOR tracking holding procedures which, which is, is really interesting it's quite intense yeah. um, but really enjoyable so even if you didn't do your IR if you flew with an IR pilot it's valuable skills to have even though you're not actually allowed to use it anywhere outside the UK are you? yeah that's right um, uh, I agree totally it's, it, it really is um, a great skill to have and, and adds, an, adds a whole new dimension to yeah. flying I think so. it's just one exam isn't it that covers the, the whole of the PPL syllabus is it? Yeah, it's um, it's just the one exam, um, and again, it covers all the, the usual things: um, physi physiological factors, flight instruments, flight planning. Um, that's where it's quite intensive because obviously you've got meteorology, um, radio aids, so ground DF, ADF, VOR, DME, ILS, GPS, altimetry. You know the list goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some of the other the other things that are quite important is the the IAS, NOTAMs, UK AIP, AICs. So it gets you really, really up to scratch with all that, and yeah. you really do drill down in all the information that you can you can glean to to, to, to do a successful flight in in, in IMC. Okay. Uh, so that's your past in terms of aviation, but uh, I believe you've got an interesting future. Yeah, I'm looking to. Um, fly solo uh, around the world in a single engine aircraft um, for, for charity. Brilliant. Uh, what's in, inspired you to do such a thing? 
Well, a number of things actually. Um, I kind of stumbled on the idea. Um, obviously, you know, there's plenty of uh, magazines out there with articles of people doing extremely long flights. Yeah. Uh, you know, some doing it for charity. And I started to look a little bit deeper into it um, um, and uh, came across Polly Vatcher, uh, which was an amazing number of flights she's conducted for charity. Um, and one thing led to another. Um, you know, uh, I also feel extremely lucky that I found something really passionate about as well um, and thought, well, how can I give something back, maybe push myself to the limits and up came the idea of flying around the world. What sort of charities have you got in mind you're going to collect money for? Um, well, it's Make-A-Wish Foundation is the one that um, I'm planning to, to, to conduct the flight for. Um, it's, it's a great charity. Um, often get superseded by the likes of you know UNICEF and some of these big charities. So I thought, such a, a good little um, well, it's not little. It's actually a big organisation. Um, they've got something like forty-seven. Uh, no, sorry, thirty-six affiliate offices around the world yeah. in forty-seven countries. So kind of ties in with the around the world thing as well. Um, so I thought, well, that, that's a great charity, and again, what they do is the uh, the grant magical wishes to children who are fighting um, life-threatening illnesses. So what what a, what no better cause than than that really, in granting some some wishes for some of these children. And um, my intention is obviously to try and get some of these children to fly on different legs of the journey, which would be really good, I think. Really? So we've discussed your sort of flying in the States. Uh, obviously, you've done some pretty big cross countries there. What, what is the longest flight you've ever done, and, and what's your total experience now to date? Well, it, it, it's probably the longest flight w would have been the, the Key West flight. Um, and I've got just under 200 hours uh, logged. Um, so some people would say I'm rather inexperienced to undertake such a flight. Um, I don't see it like that. I'm quite confident, quite motivated, and, and I'm determined to achieve uh, this massive task that I've set myself. Um, so I'm really sort of targeting my development for this around-the-world flight as well. So I've actually planned some um, long-distance flights as like a dress rehearsal to you know, the south of France, southern Spain, North Africa, and destinations around the Med. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, my first one's Latuke, which, which I plan to do in the next sort of three or four weeks. Uh, there's a couple of us planning to, to do that, so that's quite exciting as well. Have you thought yet about what aircraft you're going to fly around the world? Well, I'm used to flying um, a PA-28, and I've been doing it for the last few years. I have got other experience on other types, uh, Cessnas 172, which, which, which are great aircraft to fly. Um, but really, uh, from, from the information the research have done, um, it's much better uh, attempting a flight like this in an aircraft that you, you, you know, you're fully, fully cons uh, you know, familiar with. Yeah. Um, and that's quite important. I mean, understanding the aircraft settings. I mean, for example, speed is costly in fuel, so you've got to, to know the power settings for economy crews. Low power settings, low revs, optimises fuel consumption, improves efficiency of prop and engine, etc. Leaning the mixtures, mm -hmm. you know, general handling of the aircraft is dead important, I think, and, 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 and being confident around it. The last thing you need to be doing is uh, finding your way around an aircraft that you're unfamiliar with, yeah. you know, taking on such a, such a flight, really. Have you set your heart on a single engine? It's got to be a single engine, really, I think. Um, you know that that's the challenge, isn't it? And, and and obviously a test of your courage and your nerve. Obviously, yeah. 
um, undertaking some of the you know oceanic crossings which we'll probably talk about a bit later on but um, it's got to be a single engine that's that's the exciting part about it I think Um, one of the guys in one of the early podcasts flew to Israel and uh, he actually rented a diesel powered aircraft just because of the you know the fuel economy have you sort of considered Avgas versus uh, diesel engine well no I haven't actually Um, but um, I actually listened to that podcast and it, it was dead interesting actually um, that's put a whole new slant on it so that's something I might try and investigate however the, all, all the information uh, and the research that I've done everybody's flown have gas yeah. really so all the information that's available on cost how to get the fuel at certain destinations and all the rest of it or planning for having fuel at destinations is all based on Avgas so I'm not sure um, what would be involved in trying to then go back and and, and analyse it from a diesel perspective I would imagine more availability of Jet A1 than than Avgas possibly I mean it's something I am going to look at that what are you going to do with regard to ferry tanks obviously you've got some uh, if you're going across across the oceans you're going to need some big ferry tanks yeah, um, again, you, you know, anybody that's attempted the big um, crossings across the Pacific has had to fit ferry tanks. Uh, basically, what they do is remove the, the rear seats, fit ferry tanks. Um, and again, you, you know, on board you're probably carrying an extra 100, 140 US gallons of fuel, um, which is, is quite hazardous in itself, especially on takeoff, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Um, obviously, you've got, you've got the weight. Um, um, additional weight, which is, as you, as you well know, can be extremely dangerous for normal operations. And a lot of these pilots have um, uh, have sort of reported being at least 10% over maximum takeoff weight, which is, you know, takes some courage to do that as well, doesn't it? Yeah. How many folks have actually flown around the world in a single engine? Well, there's, there's been some recent updates actually. There's a, there's 171 um, pilots achieved the, the around the world flight in a single engine aircraft and there's two South African chaps um, who had just completed it in September yeah. uh, and I actually made contact with them which I'm, again I'll go into a bit later on Okay. Are you planning to do it alone or are you going to find a, a co-pilot to come with you? Um, I would like to attempt it on my own um, however I don't have an IR rating at the moment and uh, some countries impose mandatory IFR flights over water um, example Iceland for instance um, there's also um, certain weather systems especially on the intertropical zone of convergence um, which are always usually full of low carbon thunderstorms and there's a very real possibility of being caught in IMC so I think from, from, that, from that perspective it probably would be better to either get the IR rating or, or fly with a pilot who is IR rated yeah. Um, an additional pilot is valuable in other ways as, as well, sort of emergency situations perhaps, reduced fatigue through shared workload, en route navigation, and as we said, you know, um, someone who's IR. Yeah. So you might go down the IR route. You're doing an IMC anyway yourself, aren't you? But you might actually go and do the IR. Yeah, I mean, I do intend to get an instrument rating at some point. Whether that's prior to attempting this flight or not, I'm not sure. Uh, depends how everything else falls into place. As I stated earlier, some countries impose that IFR um, over over the water flights, um, and you know, especially um, the route that I wish to take, which is the classic route, okay. and IR as a necessity. Right. For your round the world trip, 
I presume you're going to need loads and loads of charts. Are you going to sort of take all those with you or pick them up en route? Well, again, after the research, um, again, you, and obviously the IR being a factor involved in all this, that's obviously plays part in your, in your flight planning. So, you know, airways manuals are needed, which are often quite heavy and bulky. And a lot of pilots tend to um, post them on or deliver them to various destinations en route uh, to avoid carrying those bulky items. Um, obviously, copious amounts of maps are needed. Um, so what, what most pilots do um, is plan each leg, um, have the, the relevant documentation, i.e. flight plans, log sheets, maps, approach plates, um, all packaged in an envelope for each leg. Mm -hmm. um, obviously on completion of a particular leg, you'd, you'd, you'd archive that particular envelope and pull another one out for the next leg. And then obviously you've got the GPS, you, you know, and all the, the, the relevant information needed for the GPS as a, as a, as a backup. Yeah. And for your long overseas trips, you're going to need some uh, serious emergency equipment, aren't you? Yeah, um, there's, there's quite a lot of um, important um, survival equipment needed and obviously communication equipment should, um, you need to ditch. Um, it's quite important that obviously, you, you, you know, you, you can exit the, the aircraft and deploy a, a life raft with all the relevant kit that goes with it and uh, do that properly and um, also get the calls in etc but the, the, the things that you, you need are life jackets that need to be worn throughout the full duration of the flight over water immersion suits for uh, flights across the Atlantic in cold water because um, if you ditched in, in those kind of waters those cold waters without an immersion suit you'd last minutes instead yeah. of hours yeah. if you had the, the correct suit life raft with roof and there's an interesting story where um, some ferry pirate pilots have, have said um, that they always carry an axe in the, in the cabin and a knife at easy, easy reach, just in case they ditch. The life rafts have gone off. You know, you need a knife to puncture it so you can get out. If they can't access the doors, then they smash them open with an axe. So quite scary when you start, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, trying to obtain this sort of information. You're reading all these stories. Um, Obviously, survival equipment that come in packs that include medical, strobe lights, C die markers, signal mirrors, E perbs and G perbs, you know, emergency position indicating radio beacons. Your aircraft should be fitted with an ELC. You need a VHF radio, and and those are mandatory over yeah. ocean water flights. Yeah, um, you need to do hourly position reports with those. Uh, obviously, a lot of planning goes into this, and a lot of clearances you need. Are you thinking of doing all this stuff yourself or your team or are you going to employ a specialist agent that can do all this for you? Again, there's a, there's a lot of um, foreign countries and a lot of airspace um, and you can't just fly into these countries, um, in particular the Middle East. You do need permissions or clearance. Um, and, and like you pointed out, there, there is a number of companies who provide packages for clearance, permits, visas. Uh, one particular company is UK-based, they're called Overflight Services and they specialise in, in packaging all these for you. Um, and uh, and it's, it's not too bad actually through them, pricing-wise. I've just um, had some information back from them, so um, that's quite interesting. Um, I've also managed to um, source an airport facility directory called the ACU Quick, 
which details over 8,000 airports, associated handling agents and local hotels. So that might be a valuable commodity in planning, uh, routes yeah. and costings. Um, and there's a number of websites, uh, one that springs to mind is called the World Aero Data website, which again gives, gives um, information on um, airfields and fuel and mm -hmm. you know landing fees and things like that. So there's a lot to go out there as well. Um, and um, again, a hell of a lot of work because it's probably going to be 30, 40 stops on route. Yeah. Talking of route, have you actually thought what route you're going to take? You said you, you're planning to take the classic route, which is? Choosing a route is a minefield in itself. Um, there's so many possibilities in terms of route selection. So again, you know, what's your starting point? Do you go eastbound, westbound? I mean, obviously, the, the argument for, for, for eastbound is you've got your prevailing winds at altitude, which affects all sorts of things in mm -hmm. terms of fuel and ground speed and all the rest of it. Um, westbound, you're flying into daylight, so the sunlight hours are going to be longer. The, the one I want to do is the central route. Um, is that what you call the classic route? The, the classic route. Um, so, again, you start off in the UK, through France, Greece, Cyprus, Egypt, United Arab Emirates, India, Thailand, Singapore, Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, Cook Islands, Kiribati, um, Hawaii, USA, Canada, Greenland, Iceland, back to the UK. That's the classic route. Um, what, what makes it so challenging, you think? The, the cross, crossing the sea, it's the uh, Pacific? Again, going through the inter, you know, uh, continental convergence zone, uh, sorry, intertropical convergence zone. So you, you, you know, you've got the weather yeah. situations you've got to tackle. You're going from the north to the south. All the the the, the overwater flights. Again, there's probably eighty to hundred hours of overwater flights on that route. I would I would estimate. Yeah. What's what's the longest crossing there? The longest crossing is the Pacific crossing, which is. Is it from Hawaii to the states? Yeah, to San Francisco. Um, or Santa Barbara, Monterey, um, and that's usually about 17 hours, um, which is a, is a long way in a single engine yeah, aircraft yeah, across yeah. the Pacific. Yeah. Um, and um, again, there's, there's probably between anything 35 and 40 stops on that route as well. Um, so a hell of a lot of planning. It's probably 27,500 miles in total, and probably somewhere in the region of 270 hours flying time in total. Have you actually thought of the cost? I know you're going to go for sponsorship, but if, if you were paying for it yourself, how much do you reckon it would cost you? Well, again, it's difficult to put exact costings, um, and again, a scratch together a sort of fag packet costing of the core elements mm -hmm. from the information I had to date. Um, now, further information I have been able to obtain and access to other websites and companies, then I can, I can target that a bit more and get nearer to the actual cost. But just to give you an example, um, of those core elements. I worked out, well, you, you know, 15 US gallons an hour fuel burn, let's say. Uh, there's 270 flight hours, so you're looking at 4,050 US gallons. Um, and, and then uh, $5 a, a, a gallon, um, you're looking at $20,250 for the complete flight. Was that just for fuel or is that? That's just fuel. Um, 40 stops, and let's say it's $300 handling fee per stop, so that's $12,000. Visa and other permits and paperwork, probably $2,000. Engine oil maintenance, so 50 hour, 100 hour checks, a couple of grand. Uh, food and accommodation, $2,000. Survival equipment, um, $5,000. I mean, there is organizations that 
rent and may be able to get a cheaper option um, going down the rental route. Yeah. Additional uh, radio equipment, rental probably $1,000. So you're looking at somewhere near the region of $45,000. So, I mean, it, again, that is a real ballpark, yeah. fag packet business plan. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that will adjust, you know. I, I think you're not far off, actually, from yeah. what I've heard. Yeah, so, again, like I say, from the research I've done um, and... Um, through contacts I've had for people that have done it, then you know that probably wouldn't be a miles off, a million miles off. And you, you are looking at sponsorship. Is that a, a realistic goal to get someone to sponsor you, either in part or in whole? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, it could be a great opportunity for some potential sponsors. Sponsors. I mean, obviously, what they're going to look for is a well-packaged business plan. Uh, you know, with 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 accurate costings um, and details of the kind of exposure that they're potentially likely to receive. You know, um, so I have got a number of people um, interested in getting involved, um, which may influence sponsorship. I've got a production company who wants to film the event. Um, we're looking at possible record-breaking attempts as well, so to generate some media coverage, which may well help. Um, we're going to um, use social media, including Facebook, Twitter, websites, in, in order to get some exposure. And ultimately, the, the goal is to um, generate donations for, for the charity. I mean, that is the goal here. It's not just um, a jolly for me to achieve something it's, it, that, that, that I'm passionate about. It's, it is definitely to drive some revenue and exposure for this charity, which I think is, is amazing. I think you said you've tried to make contact with pilots that have done this trip before. Have you much, much success in that route? I have, actually, yeah. Um, I um, got um, on Twitter and spoke to James Pittman and Jean de Azonville. I hope I've, I've pronounced that right, who have just completed their... I, I think they've done it on a number of occasions now, but they did it recently yeah. um, uh, for the uh, aircraft factory based in South Africa. Um, and it got a bit of Twitter dialogue going um, while they were on, actually en route. Yeah. yeah. So, again, I've um, again emailed them some, um, you know, frequently asked questions if you like um, so I'm waiting for a response from those guys what, what did they do at Indian Um they did it in a Slingsby I think Slingsby yeah a lot do you know what actually you know something we, 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 I wanted to touch on earlier there, there is a hell of a lot of PA-28s that have achieved the flight but there's also a lot of Mooney aircraft as well mm. um, again I've been having a little look at Mooney aircraft and um, obviously they're the performance of that aircraft is pretty good. Yeah. You know, I've seen so. a fair few Bonanzas as well. Yeah, Bonanzas. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and it's quite interesting. Um, the 61 um, US citizens that have done it, and there's only 15 UK citizens that have done it as well, which is uh, pretty depressing. Yeah. We can't have the Hanks beating us, can we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but going back to some of the other people I've, I've, I've been in contact with, Jay, uh, Jim Nesbitt, um, a Scottish gentleman um, who did the classic route. Um, and, and I'm really interested in his route. Um, he's got a website, uh, so if anybody's interested, mm -hmm. check it out. Um, it's really well put together. Okay. Uh, Polyvatcher. Um, so, uh, and, and there's numerous others have emailed. I'm not had a response back from yeah. yet, but um, hopefully. Um, Polly used uh, PA28, didn't she? That's right, a Dakota. Was it? I think so. Yeah. Uh, but she's done it. Um, obviously, she's done a couple of flights around the world. Um, I think the first one she did in 2001. Um, and then she did another flight, some record-breaking flights. Um, that's on seven continents. 
and uh, the North and South Pole, which is pretty an amazing yes. feat, really. Yeah, and for another good charity as well. I think you mentioned earlier you would you would talk a little bit more about taking some of these these kids on uh, on route, picking yeah. them up on route and taking them for uh, a Lego or whatever. Yeah. Well, again, I've, I've spoken to um, Make a Wish Foundation, and they were very interested in what I'm planning. Obviously, everything's in its early planning stage at the moment, so obviously they're going to want to see something more tangible um, in place. Um, And then they will help me to achieve this uh, goal. Um, Like I said, they've got um, organisations over 47 countries, and um, I would like to link it all together in some way, shape or form, and Mm -hmm. that's the plan. And and maybe grant some wishes by taking some of these kids up in in an aircraft with me on, on certain legs of the journey, which would be an amazing experience for them. So that's the plan. Excellent. Have you a website yet, or somewhere someone can find out more details about your progress? Um, we've 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 got some domain names. I've got um, a number of um, web designers um, working on building a site, and that will be going up shortly. And the domain is um, uh, wings. Uh, sorry, wingsforwishes.com. Okay. And if people want more information about people that have flown around the world, is there a website where they can get more info? Uh, yeah, it's an excellent website, um, earthrounders.com, and um, uh, that, that's an amazing site which registers all these flights um, that have been completed, um, information on, on, on individuals, um, their, their relevant sites, uh, contact uh, numbers and, and email addresses, uh, and all sorts of information on, on um, round the world flights. Cool. Have you got a deadline when, or, a, or a time scale within which you wish to achieve this? Well, I'd like to do it within the next couple of years. Um, and, and certainly I'm going to give it a good go to try and get everything in place within the next 12 months. Um, again, obviously, if, if, if I decide to go down the IR route, then obviously it may well push it on uh, a little bit further because obviously it would be, be um, obviously a lot to achieve to try and get this plan yeah. done and actioned as well as you know, training for, yeah. for an IR rating. So. All right, well, that's great. I uh, hope you'll come back and uh, keep in touch with us and let us know uh, nearer the time when you plan to do it and uh, come back when you've done it. Yeah, absolutely. We're more than happy to do that. Great thanks, stuff. Steve. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, big thanks to Scott for uh, coming onto the podcast. Don't forget, if uh, you'd like to take part, like Scott, or if you have a suggestion for a topic or you have a comment, just send me an email to the usual address. That's, uh, as you probably well know, steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Uh, For links to the various websites that Scott mentioned, including his dedicated round-the-world site, have a look at uh, the Flying Podcast website, which is flyingpodcast.co.uk. Well, that's it for episode 46 of Flying Podcast. Thanks uh, for listening, and I'll speak to you again soon.